So what would you like, your chocolate chip, or you want a current I'm one? I'm going to have a little piece of that other one. Okay. I'm such a classic chocolate chip girl. This is Free Cookies from ESPNW, the podcast all about sports, wellness, and lifestyle. I'm Kate Fagan. And I'm Catherine Budig. And that cookie chatter that you just heard, I mean, it's no big deal, but that was just us hanging out, eating cookies with the former prima ballerina, Alexandra Ancinelli. In today's episode, you'll hear all about how at the very peak of her career, she actually stepped away from the spotlight and quit ballet. It's amazing. You know, as they say, that every dog has his day. No, no, they don't say that. I'm pretty sure they say that. Okay, you know what? Actually, later in the show, we're actually going to address this because you have a way of just torturing idioms. Like, they get torturing. No, we're definitely talking about this later. All right. So maybe idioms aren't my forte. And there's another topic going on right now. The ball family. Yes. Maybe you want me to also like, explain that to you? Because I want to. What is the ball family? I need to know what the ball family is. All right, let's is. talk so about, let's the, talk ball about ball the ball family. <laughs> let's get into it. Let's do it. We are recording this on Tuesday, and tonight is the NBA draft lottery. This is a okay, night Okay, whoa, whoa. We've got some breaking news. This just in. This is really scandalous. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Via Mashable. Here's the headline. Girl Scout troop leader stole $15,000 worth of cookies and is now nowhere to be found. They can't find someone with like 700 like crates of Thin Mints. Of cookies. A big van full of Samoas and Just peanut cookies butter. flying off of a van somewhere. Do you think Sprinkling that happiness. Maybe she is going to distribute these cookies for free. Perhaps. She is the Girl Scout Robin Hood of her time. All right. We will keep listeners up to date as news progresses on the Robin Hood cookie thief. (laughs) But for now, back to the NBA draft lottery, Catherine. Fine. I will explain what this NBA draft lottery is for the non-sporting folk listening to this podcast. It is the night of the year where the losing teams in the NBA show up and stare at a big vat of ping pong balls. And now each ping pong ball has a team logo on it. And do these little ping pong balls look like tiny basketballs? No, they look like ping pongs. I just feel like that would be a creative note that they could take. It would probably maybe it would cheer them up since you know it's all the teams that haven't done well. They'd be like, oh, it's so cute. But they have something to look forward to because this is the night when one ping pong ball is chosen, and whoever has their logo on that ping pong ball when it comes out gets the number one pick in the NBA draft. This is relevant to us here, Catherine, because one of the potential number one picks is Lonzo Ball, former UCLA point guard whose father, LeVar Ball, has been in the headlines for weeks and weeks because he has made many outrageous statements like he could beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one. That that his son is better than Steph Curry. I I knew you would know that one. (laughs) The Ball family has started the Big Baller brand. And they released sneakers for $495. Now, part of the marketing campaign has been to say outrageous things. Like, you will play like Lonzo Ball if you wear these shoes. You better for that price tag. You better play like Michael Jordan for that price tag. Because <laughs> those, those, those sneaks are $400 more than most Jordans originally drop for. And, so, and Google these shoes. These shoes are nothing to write home about at all. They're a ripoff of the Kobe, everybody listening. Regardless... <laughs> Part of the marketing ploy has been for LeVar Ball to say outrageous things. And it's been all across the sports world. But for me, the main purpose of discussing LeVar Ball is because he is the representation of having 
a gimmicky, clever headline and absolutely no content. And I feel like that's a runaway problem in our world. Absolutely. And I mean, you see this happening in the wellness world as well, this concept of what do you have to do to stay in the headlines. So I don't know if you know this exists or not, but there is now something called goat yoga. Ooh. Yeah, goat yoga. So basically it's yoga in a room full of baby goats yeah. and they just climb all over you while you're doing yoga. And Ooh. let me just make oh, it I'm clear. I'm supposed to be mad about this. I love goats. Okay. I love yoga. But WTF. I mean, here's my problem. As someone who has been in this world and trained and respects the crap as much as I do, if you think that you can just throw farm animals into a room of people doing yoga, and that is going to be professional, or people are going to look at the career path and world of yoga and take it seriously, that's ridiculous. It's just a ploy to get people to jump on to the next trend that's happening right now. Exactly. And so in a lot of ways, LeVar Ball and this big baller brand to me is not based on the content itself and the integrity of it, like yoga, right? It's based on whatever dynamic, cool headline they can put on it. Well, like it just throwing like... goats into yoga and being like, here's this cool marketing gimmick. And that's how LeVar Ball feels to me as well. Right. And it just sounds like LeVar is trying to do whatever he can to jump on this while it's still hot. The strike while the iron is hot. Whoa, good one. Yes, got it. Okay, so... It, and I see, again, this is happening in yoga all the time where the yoga practice, and you are a basketball player, you know, there's something sacred about the practice when you're doing your basketball practice, when yogis are doing their practice, and you do it for you. That there's, It's a beautiful, sacred time. And in this day and age, because people, even in the wellness world, are trying to make these headlines, if they do a yoga practice, did it even really happen if you didn't record it and upload it on Instagram and get X amount of likes? And it's it's truly hurting my heart at this point because we're losing something that was created to make us feel better. And instead, we are regularly injecting ourselves with this poison of expectation of that I am doing this because I want the accolades and the attention and the branding versus I'm doing this because this actually makes me feel good. And I just worry about Lonzo Ball that this seems like a young, amazing player and this father who's taking advantage of this limelight like yeah money's great branding's great good for him but is he taking away from the actual passion of the sport of someone who's very good at what they do that reminded me of when you were this past week speaking to students at a school a yoga school in right, Colorado Gina Caputo. and um how much the conversation quickly turned to the representations of their yoga practices or if they're yoga teachers, like the representations of yoga and not and how they were getting pulled away from like the actual essence of what yoga is. And so many of them within that class were struggling with it didn't seem like many of them wanted to be part of social media, but none of them. It didn't even feel like an option to not be part of social media. It was simply like, if I'm going to do it, how do I best do it? Yes. And there has to be a game plan. It's not something that's organic anymore. It's a very thought out, curated approach to success. 
And back in the day, like you didn't become a yoga teacher because you wanted to make mounds of money. You became a yoga teacher because you wanted to give to people and you love it so much. And just the parallels with LeVar and his son, I was watching an interview with the two of them and how Lonzo wants to play for the Lakers. It's always been his dream to play for the Lakers. And yet when he was being interviewed, you know, she was like, well, what happens if you go to New Orleans? What happens if you go to New York? And and he was like, look, it's been I don't care where I go. It's been my dream as a little boy to play for the NBA. And as long as I get to play, that's what matters. And it was just this really sweet moment where I was waiting for his father to jump on it and be like, no, he's going to play for the Lakers because that's and he's what's going to happen. already better than Magic Johnson. Yeah, exactly. So I, it, I would just love to see the world in general, both sports and wellness, come back to a place where people actually pursue whatever the endeavor is because it's coming from a place of love. Yeah because they want to do it and not because I should do this because this is the opportunity to make money and I need to go. Because we haven't even explored necessarily the ramifications of becoming and being so invested in our social media selves. I think you hear in people's voices and when they're talking openly about it, this struggle about how to represent who they are in what they hope is the best way possible. But even discussing it out loud means that it's not, oh, it's not going to be just you showing up in the world. It's in some way you molding yourself in what you hope is the best way to present yourself online. And I bring that up because one of the lasting key takeaways of writing the book I have upcoming, What Made Maddie Run, was this piece of insight about the different selves that we have and how before social media, you of course have yourself in public when you're with people and you act one way and then who you are by yourself in private. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to, there's always throughout history been that split of like, who am I when I'm in public versus who am I when I, when I'm just inside my own head. And before the only people who then created this like third self was really celebrities. Right. Performers, celebrities, They had to navigate, okay, who am I by myself? Who am I when I'm around my friends and family and in public? And then who am I... When I'm on. When I'm on. And who am I when you're consuming me through magazines and through pictures and through television screen? And when we look at our celebrities... Haven't we all always been like, what happens to celebrities? You right? wonder why they all go crazy. I mean, I'm not like causation does not equal correlation, or correlation does not equal causation. It's one of those two. It sounded smart. But now all of us have to deal with that. Like now we all have three layers to ourselves. Well, and it's so great because it's so applicable to our guest today as someone who had that celebrity, who had that limelight on them and made this unbelievable decision to step away from it. I feel like she, of all people, knows what it's like to maybe demolish that third person. Yeah, to have like fractured personas and then want to pursue a different... And bring it back to simplicity. Yeah. Well, that was a perfect transition, Catherine. We should just bring in our guest. Let's do it. We're professional podcasters. I'm a shower curtain, and I do one thing. Keep water from leaking everywhere. So you see why I feel useless compared to Geico, who does so much more. Like, not only could Geico save you money, but they've been around for over 75 years. And they give you 24-7 access online, over the phone, or on the Geico app. And they've got a 97% customer satisfaction rating. They do all this while I have to listen to this chucklehead. 
Oh, good. He stopped. Washing my toes. Oh, great. An encore. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Alexandra Ancinelli may not be a name that is immediately recognizable, yet once upon a time, her name was synonymous with ballet royalty. The Long Island native with the nickname Zidi. That's because she's Italian and she could clean a tray of Zidi like nobody's business. We are pasta sisters. But uh, she grew up playing soccer. Then she switched to ballet. And at the young age of 16, Alexandra Ancinelli was deemed a ballet prodigy. By 22, she was a principal for the prestigious New York City Ballet. And by 26, she was a principal for the Royal Ballet in London. But here's what makes her so amazing to me. Instead of climbing the endless ladder of success, Alexandra took her final bow at the peak of her career at the age of 28. She knew there was more to life than just ballet and was ready to take that chance, even though she was considered to be the best of the best. We were mesmerized by this concept of walking away at the very peak and the reinventive fire that was necessary. And we just had to bring her on the show. So let's bring her in. Do you think she brought us pasta? I hope she brought cookies. I want some ziti. We are thrilled to be joined by Alexandra Ancinelli, who is the former principal ballerina for the Royal Ballet. And now, see, this is what we've done every time we have guests on, is I throw out what I think is the best identifier for our guest, and then I am ask the guest if they feel that that identifier and that introduction was actually a reflection of them. Hmm. Well, I, I feel like I'm in a morphing phase, so um, I haven't quite blossomed as of yet, but uh, for sure I think my most recognized accomplishment thus far is that. So, okay. okay, so I, yeah. I wasn't too far afield. No, not at all. That. Just to <laughs> lay the groundwork for, for listeners, you retired, walked away from ballet at the pinnacle of your career, so you had like three to four to five, maybe even more amazing pinnacle years left and you were like no something else is calling me what kind of emotions were going on for you when you made that choice yeah I think there's so many components to I think you as a performer I mean as in essence that's what you are doing you are pleasing um so you're pleasing audiences teachers but still within yourself I mean it is about you and the art um and how you fit into that but uh, yes, for sure. I definitely felt like I was going to disappoint people and make them almost feel like it wasn't good enough, um, like that there is something better out there and that had nothing to do with it. I just think that it is a, as an artist or as in whatever craft you're doing, you're channeling a certain part of yourself as you are connecting to other people at a certain point in themselves. And I think that, um, when you find that there is more inside of you that you feel like you need to grow and understand and experience. Because, I mean, even if it's reincarnation or whatever Mm -hmm. philosophy there is, I mean, we're present right now. So I felt like, you know, it was a very hard choice for sure because I just was leaving so many years of a a life. I mean, you are like creating a whole new life. So, yes. And just really quick, curious Every day when you were either with the New York City Ballet or the Royal Ballet, how many hours a day would you say you dedicated yourself to rehearsal or training? Or even thinking about yeah, the art? Yeah, I was, there was nothing else. It I mean, it was non-stop. like I was in a convent. 
So when you transferred, okay, now I get, now I get it. I, this is what's so fascinating to me: this dedication, right? Yeah. With but so, and then you went from New York to the Royal Ballet, mm-hmm. and did it feel like being a beginner again because you had to drop rank? rank? Yeah, yes and no. I've always had like that respect factor through the journey, and I think you know when I was doing a small role or a large role, I I guess I was always just wanted to do it as good as I knew that I could. Yes, I was there from like 6 a.m. till then the last mm. person left the building. So it was just obsessive. I mean, like literally, I was obsessed with everything from what the stagehands are doing to the costume design, every component of how the organism functioned. I'm curious about the the differentiating line between all the hard work and the rehearsal that goes in versus when you were actually on stage? Because people will talk about you as that you were this wildly emotional, passionate dancer, that people could feel it. Did you lose yourself in those moments when you were actually on stage? You know, just when the lights are on you and the entire rest of the world disappears? Mm-hmm. Like, does it just, you turn into almost a completely different creature? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's do just, you miss it's, that? Oh, yeah. That was it. I mean, that, it was all about that for me, was that stage moment. And also, like, being with someone and having that connection and creating something that was just not of this world. So you left the Royal Ballet, and and then what came next? I started Columbia uh, University a few months later. At that point, totally engrossed. The environment's incredible. It's a whole other mindset and development there because you're with students that So general studies is the program, and they enable older students to come in and integrate with the younger students and have, like, full-on classes, and, like, there's no, you know, baby steps, (laughs) basically. (laughs) And I was there for about a year. It was a year, and in that time, I was learning more about my dad's work because I came home, and he's an oncologist, and the more I understood of what was occurring the more I realized that I had to get involved. Do you worry that you won't ever be as good at anything as you were at dance? Juicy. No. Yes. Why not? Because you already are? Because she's amazing. (laughs) I like that. I mean, I just want to know why not. Um, I don't know why, but I just, I feel like like I don't even go there. It's like not even part of the equation. I work until... I get it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I don't know, like, it's just keep going like a no. machine. <laughs> I like it. I mean, because, like, I think the reason I asked that question was because there was an acknowledgement from you that to some extent where you ended up in dance, in the dance world, at the very top of it, was a product of your extreme hard work and talent and as well some form of luck that exists right. in the world. And so th- then the sometimes inside of me, I'm like, well, we'll – that confluence of events ever strike again. Right, yeah. Because uh, you can only bring two of the three equations. It. You know, you got to find equation. it. You okay. got to keep working, keep searching, keep learning, take the hits, fall down, get back up, wipe yourself off. At that time, when, when you're dancing, your expression of taking something inside of you and delivering it to an audience, audience was dance. dance. Yes, and yes. You then you have also help from choreography and the other dancers, mm-hmm. but still, but still that's, that's how you get that creative, creative energy, energy out. Mm-hmm. Since you've left dance, like what 
has been your expression of whatever's yeah. churning inside of you. How do you now deliver that to the world? Well, that's kind of what I'm finding. And because I process deeply, it might go a little bit slower than I desire. Um, so I think one of the things that did happen when I came home, which was totally unexpected, was this breast cancer project. Um, yes, my father pioneered it. He's a scientist. And I just saw it in this bubble, you know, sitting. And, of course, like, now you're taking a person that grew up in a theater, literally, um, putting them into the world, which is a huge, just that in itself is a huge transition. And then seeing, like, something that's so incredible and in a whole nother environment and just trying to understand the complexity of politics and medicine and um, while I'm trying to understand myself and go to college. So, I mean, there's just like a thousand things that just kind of landed. And um, But in terms of the creativity, I saw an opportunity there. And I feel like innovation is definitely part of that. You know, it may not necessarily be through the movement, um, but I kept in touch with dancing. I dance still. Um, I do yoga or, Yay. you know, just anything <laughs> like photography. I mean, like whenever I feel like I can create something cooking, like I just have to utilize that. But in terms of making something like of on a level that I did before, I felt like this science thing was, A, amazing for women. Will you take us through yeah. the specifics of yeah, it? Yeah, so this work basically takes breast cancer surgery and it's all by laser so you're using a laser to remove cancer it's not what they usually do called ablation where it vaporizes the tumor inside the body or freezes it or burns it this is like using a modality like a knife or what's typically performed in hospitals but it's by laser so this means you don't have any drugs after the surgery. There's no pain. So you're taking a Tylenol even after mastectomies. You're leaving. You're completely autonomous. So you're not dependent on anyone. Like we've had women come in from across country by themselves. There's no hospital stay. There's no general anesthesia. So, I mean, they're under a local for like the most advanced tumors. And the science has shown, like, even in animal studies, 80% less local recurrence. Um, there just hasn't been anyone to take it and run with it because my dad is not a politician. He's not a businessman. So so he was performing these surgeries, but he didn't necessarily have, like, the branding creativity exactly. to deliver that message. Right. And that, that's exactly. where you came in. Right. So I stepped in, and first I had to, like, now understand how to run a center because, like, regulations coming in and changing things. So I had to accredit at the center, learn all about the medicine, get a new team in there um, that works cohesively. There's just so many components, and I have no guidebook. Like, there's been no how to do this because—and then I'm dealing with my dad, who's, like, a breed— you know, he's not a young man. So, like, now this is a whole nother perspective right. on woman coming in <laughs> and running things. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, like, just so much going on here. It's right. like a whole—it's a theater production. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but in terms—like, I just started to see, like, 
there's definitely like this innovator spirit that I have in trying to channel people, connect with them and make change and bring things to another level. So I think in that way it's been happening, but mm-hmm. it's not like going out and making people cry and, you know, right. make them elated. It's it's a serious topic. Um, even when I was there, occasionally patients would say, if I had known about this sooner, like I wouldn't have waited. And to just know that there is like a community of women with breast cancer out there that are not happy and they're putting themselves in greater risk um, disturbed me a lot. Because I just I know what it's like to be injured and without solutions. That happened to me at one point, and I knew that the internet and just that there are things out there that even though you don't know they exist, but they're there. Do you miss being in of uh, both the literal and a figurative yeah. spotlight? I mean, I like I like the moment. Like I think the 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 sense of accomplishment is really what I love. Mm-hmm. I I love people. So yes, being recognized is lovely, but it it wasn't really what drove me. I mean, I think that's why I could leave it because I wasn't I wasn't like driven by the stardom every day. Like it just that was not why I got up. It was just purely like to be great at what I was doing. So is the end goal just to go back to like yeah. the pursuit when it comes to um, your dad being an oncologist and right. the, and the uh, breast cancer treatment, is the end goal there getting that particular service to yep. be an option covered under healthcare for all humans, or is yes, that so over, broad that <laughs> over healthcare or like places in the world that don't have systematic structure, which it doesn't yet? I feel that. This kind of option has no limitations. It's not limited by a structure. So they could do it, like, mobily. You know, doctors could be training and learning it, and they could be facilitated. Like, there's just so many ways that this could shift breast cancer health. And how it's implemented is multifaceted. So it's not necessarily one size fits all. And, and are the, is the holdup, like, bureaucratic red tape? Yeah. Which is redundant. Yeah. But yeah. Those that's the simply, struggle. yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's finding like how Elon Musk is like, I want to build a tunnel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, <laughs> go build that tunnel. Yeah. You know, like I think he's just unbelievable. Like it's just I love it. Because yeah. it's just like vision, get people together, understand the formula of how to generate it. Like yeah. that's awesome. And then he also can just bring unlimited resources almost to Exactly. Anything. I'm not right. a quite – I didn't make PayPal. I <laughs> you, made ballet. You did not found <laughs> PayPal. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I've got a, I got a ways to go. Right. <laughs> but it's not giving you that because maybe there is someone that makes PayPal yeah. that could come on board. Right. And be like, hey, you know, like, I've got a family member that went through hell, and this seems, like, totally cool, and why not? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the joy of collaborating great things. Like, it's putting on a production in the ballet. You're taking the best art designers, the best music, the best choreography, the best dancers, and you're putting them all together, and you're putting on something spectacular. There's this concept, you know, like weak link, strong link. Uh-huh. Um, 
and you can apply it to sports and that basketball would be a strong link game because mm-hmm. you can have one amazing player. Right. And you would want to improve your best player right. more than you would want to make your worst player a little bit better. Right. Whereas the opposite is true of soccer. Like you can right. have a superstar. It doesn't matter because he can't just dribble the ball totally upfield and score. So soccer would be a weak link game. Right. That makes sense. You would want to improve your worst player. Right. What was dance? Tricky question. <laughs> it does, it, and it doesn't have to be either or. I mean, you yeah. could say like it might be more in the middle, but I don't want right. to give you an out. Well, so I mean, if the oboe player is not hitting his note that night mm-hmm. and it's like a piece of music that requires a lot of oboe. And even though the ballerina might be balancing to her heart's content, if that note in the reed is not working, you know. It doesn't come off. So ballet might be weak link then. Do you think that maybe you... I'm going to just make a, lump, a jump here. You're attracted to weak link situations because you like... <laughs> There's a psychology analysis. I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing you now. Because <laughs> right, right. you... I mean, even so, even when it comes to the pursuit of making this breast cancer treatment more universal, right. it sounds like it's a lot of moving pieces and you need all of them to work to get this exactly. done. Exactly. Is that a reflection? It, it, I know I'm making a huge leap here. Yeah, but like, okay. Leaps never pivots. <laughs> okay. Is that a ballet term? <laughs> no, that's a business term. Oh, okay. You can pivot or you can leap. Okay. <laughs> um, what is it about then being involved in those types of situations that speaks to you? I guess I, well, for instance, maybe this kind of goes back to the psychological component. Um, when I was at Friends Academy, we had a field day at the end of the year and there was the family uh the school colors and i was there was no because it was a quaker school there's no like captain of your team but i would be there with the weakest player i would literally be doing their whole like whatever they had to be doing to complete like the obstacle i'd be doing it with them Mm -hmm. to get them to the finish line (laughs) Okay. So that our team yes. would win. Right. Okay. <laughs> so if you were in a cross-country meet, you would, like, finish the race and then circle back around yes. to the person still running and right. run the final mile right. with them. Right. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Because I had to get them there. I feel like I would be <laughs> eating the, like, trail mix after the race and just being like, get it. You got to get it done. No, so but clapping. I would be, like, crying at the end of the day. <laughs> like, it was, like, that emotional for me to make sure that we all came together and won. So, <laughs> Alexandra, you're yeah. just straight up one of the most confident. Just straight oh. up. I love that confidence. Thanks. It's I not always. People... I'm not perfect. But you know what? <laughs> I got my wait, tell us who lost. No, no, no. Wait, wait. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, I, and I'm hoping that everyone that just listened to this can put this on repeat when they're having those low moments if they're going through some kind of transformation or reinvention. Oh, and, I hope so. And they're going to listen to this and be like, I'm going to be like Alexandra. Oh. That's going to be my goal. <laughs> so to summarize, you want to stay hungry create massive beautiful change and remember that perfection does not actually exist in the real world i think those are all yeah. some pretty yeah. amazing takeaways alexander thank you so much for your time today of course thank you this has been absolutely lovely thank you thanks so i know we just spent all this time talking to someone who's clearly very gifted and has many many talents but you know what I am not talented at idioms. And in case you don't even know, I didn't even know idioms were called idioms until, until you told me they were idioms. And then you were like, oh, is that what you call a I'm phrase? like, at least I now have a word for the things that I do wrong all the time. Okay. 
So the idiom that I once heard that was flawed did not come from your mouth. The ultimate trampled idiom that I've ever heard. It didn't come from me? It didn't come from you. But let's get to some of your most recent ones, in fact, in the last 48 hours. But first, the ultimate trampled idiom came from the coach of the Colorado Chill, the semi-pro team I played for after college. Before practice, I'm sitting there tying my sneakers, and she comes up and she just wants to make sure that I know that I have to go like visit kids at a hospital after practice and that we're the, the plane is leaving for our next game like the next morning. And she was just like, I just want to make sure that you're on top of your ducks. <laughs> Do you get that that's a wrong, that that's a flawed idiom? Even I would have known that was wrong. So let's get to yours now, okay? Let's stay on top of our ducks here. <laughs> so yesterday you said to me, because your car needs a new tire, will you take the car in with me? I know I sound like a yuppie, but I don't want to do it alone. Okay, to which I said, what does a yuppie mean to you in that construction? Do you want me to go on? You said, it's a tiny little fish that can't do anything on its own. (laughs) And to which I said, so it's a guppy. So now, now that we know that what you meant was guppy, we're going to reinsert it into your original sentence. But don't you think guppy, like an adjective, if you were to use an adjective for a guppy, would be, oh, that guppy's so yuppie. Like, it's so I, you are you are you actually defending the use of either yuppy or guppy? I feel like when I mess them up, it is coming from a place that, like, makes sense. Okay, so let, let's actually analyze that further. We're going to reintroduce guppy to your original sentence. Yeah. Kate, will you take the car in with me? I know I sound like a guppy, but I don't want to do it alone. <laughs> I like yuppie more. I I don't like either. I mean, I actually, I mean, guppies are very creative use in that sentence, but it's still flawed. So, okay, Kate, I need to take the car into Manhattan and I'm terrified of driving in Manhattan and it makes me feel like a sad little puppy dog who can't see above the wheel. Okay, that could have worked. So while we were walking here, you turned to me and said, Oh no, what I do? Is it the hair that broke the camel's back? Oh. Well, that was genuine, actually. Okay, so, and, but, and then to which I said, So I want to know what breaks the camel's right, back. To which I said, Save it, save it, save it. Let's, we're walking to podcasts. Is it the hump? This. Is it the rider? Is it the, the hot sun so, broke the camel's back? The blank that broke the camel's back. What was it that broke the yeah, camel's well, back? Yeah, well, I'm dying here. You were close with hair, but I want more, like, do you know what that phrase well, means? Yeah, because I'm, the okay, sun wouldn't yes. make sense if you knew what the phrase okay, meant. Okay, I got a little so practical. I'm okay. assuming it's like the teeny tiniest little final thing that's like, and then right. and then the Campbell's like. <laughs> okay, so. Is it the fly? No. Is it the uh, flea? No. It's the straw that broke the camel's back. Why would a straw be on a camel's back? It's a fair question that you wouldn't want to put a straw on a camel's back because they don't drink a ton of water anyway. So what's a straw doing? Well, and no, not that kind of straw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> End segment. <laughs> and that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Free Cookies from ESPNW. Hey, Kate, uh, who makes this show? Free Cookies is produced by Barry Finkel and Pineapple Street Media. 
And you can find us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts, really. And don't forget to subscribe so we can land in your feed every single week. Rate us, review us favorably, please. Yes. It helps other people find us. And check back next week for more talk about sports, wellness, and lifestyle. Thanks for listening. Thanks.